So we want to welcome everybody. I know it's a lot going on. There's uh, Marianne's brothers out tonight. They're having his wake, or what we used to call a wake, visitation. So we'll pray for their family. And uh, we uh, just a lot going on in our world, and we're a lot going on around here, as you saw when you pulled up. A lot of construction still moving into that next phase. And uh, we've got an air conditioner out over there. We have an air conditioner out over here. <laughs> so they're about 27 years old, though. So they're getting, we're getting the last little bit out of them that we can. So we're uh, in 1 Timothy. We're probably going to finish uh, 1 Timothy tonight. Uh, and then we'll uh, go into 2 Timothy. But uh, I guess most of you saw the fountain out there. Uh, have been seeing that. So we're thankful for all that God's doing here in the natural realm. But... Also, spiritually, uh, uh, it's an unusual time Sunday where, like, you know, people get different things going on in their lives when the Holy Spirit shows up and people leave uh, with different uh, things that's ministered to them. But a Sunday, something unusual happened where God just took our whole church and thrust us forward as a body. And so that was encouraging for the Holy Spirit to do that. So... He's got great expectations for us, and we should have great expectations for Him. Amen. So uh, there's a lot, lot for us to be thankful for. Let's let's look at uh, let's pray. We want to welcome everybody that's watching us wherever you're at tonight, uh, around the United States or the globe, and all of you that will listen to this podcast sometime this week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, you've magnified your word above your name. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you've left us with this testimony of who you are through your plans and through the people you've used and the people that have uh, cling to you and, and trusted you and how that's an example for all of us. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've not left us as orphans, but you've sent your Holy Spirit uh, in a way that uh, we didn't even see in the Old Testament. And we're thankful, Lord, and we just pray that as we study your word, we'll be more like you when we leave here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we got into chapter 6 last week in verse 1. Uh, and, he, and so let me read through that in these first few verses. He says, let as many bond servants. We talked about the word doulos. Uh, somebody who's chosen to be a servant. Or under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. So you're going to be, and we've all been there, if you worked in the secular world at all, you've had a boss probably that's not a Christian. That's part of the reason you're there. To show them an example. To talk about them to the rest of the employees and run them down. But to be an example to them, right? We were all lost at one time or another. When we're lost, we're blind. We have to remember that as Christians now, that people who are lost are blind spiritually. So uh, think about that in the natural. Think about how difficult it would be to get someone who's blind to see what you're talking about in the natural. All right? Then... Try to transfer that to the spiritual realm and try to remember that that sometimes you're going to have a boss that's blind spiritually. You may be blessed to have somebody who loves the Lord that's got the authority over you and they may and they should conduct themselves differently. They are brethren, he says, those who are believers serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved teach and exhort these things so basically God's telling us as he does in Romans 13 that he establishes authority right and that's why we have to pray for our presidents and those in authority Paul admonishes us to do that because that authority is given by God right and I know sometimes if it's somebody that's against our position it's hard to pray for them but that that's really the game changer. If somebody really gets born again, that's a game changer. In any given situation, whether it's at work, in government, uh, or even in churches, if the preacher gets saved, I mean, that'd be, that'd be good for the church, right? 
We've all heard testimonies, right, of people who've been going to church for 30 years and then finally get saved, you know. Been in the choir for 30 years. We've heard of leaders, whatever, you know, and finally conviction hits them. So it's always a good thing if somebody in the church is saved. So he's just encouraging believers to handle this in the right way. And he tells us, he says, so that uh, so the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. So and then believers are benefited by us just living our Christian life. And, and understanding that God's really in charge. That, that helps me in any given situation. If you feel like your world's getting rocked around and, and trouble's coming, you know, the first thing I do is check with God and make sure there's nothing between Him and I. But then understand that He's in control. I mean, I really am convinced God's in control, even when it looks like He's not. And if you, if you look at the world with your natural man, you'll, you can get discouraged and think what is what has happened to this world. But Jesus told us it's going to be like this. Now the next things I want to spend a little time in. So we can get a clear understanding of what Paul's saying. It says if anyone teaches otherwise. And does not consent to wholesome words. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's coming on the heels of what he just said. And then he expand, expands that to all the teachings of Christ. And to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He said, if people don't do this, they're proud, right? Knowing nothing. In other words, if you abandon the truth, which is the teachings of Jesus and actually Jesus himself, if you, abandon, if you and I abandon what he says, uh, we don't know anything. Because what if you've got all the knowledge in some area in this life, but you don't have the knowledge of the Lord, you don't know anything really. Not anything that has eternal value. And so, Watchman E talks about how that if we don't touch people with the life of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we're not really touching anything in them that's important. We can touch their soulish man, and we can, and, or we could touch their natural man by our stories. And sometimes stories are applicable if they line up with the Word. Sometimes we can give examples. But a lot of people have become storytellers only. And they don't use God's word skillfully. And they're just touching people's soulish realm. They're not getting into the spirit. The only thing that can make deposits in the spirits of others is the word of God. Of course, in the Holy Spirit. It's not you and I how clever we are that touches a man's spirit. And he goes on to say that, watch when he says, if you don't use God's word when you're reaching out to others, if you're only giving them your opinions or your soulish ideas, you're never touching their spirit. Because only the word of God can divide the soul from the spirit, according to what the Lord teaches us in Hebrews. So, you know, people may want your opinion, but you, if I give an opinion, I try to make it clear that that's what I'm doing. I'm giving, even from this pulpit, I, you'll hear me say to you all from time to time, everybody says what the preacher thinks, right? I have ideas just because I've studied so long. But you can ask my wife, usually my ideas aren't good for me or anybody else. So, but if you use the Word of God, then you're impacting internal things. And that's what we should do. So he says he's proud, he don't know anything if he's not committed to God's word and his truth, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now I got rebuked on this sharply when I went to college. I thought I knew stuff. Growing up in the church, I got called to preach when I was a junior in high school. I was running, and when I quit running my sophomore year of high school, then I took all of what I thought I knew and, and went and took a test in church history and got two out of ten right. And that was the, the wake-up call for me. I knew what everybody else knew growing up in church. But I hadn't studied to show myself approved. And that's when life changed. When I got my paper back and I was a church boy and I got 20% of the 
questions right. I felt ashamed. And then God put a, a born-again, spirit-filled Catholic into my life. And I was, when he walked into my life, I was like, I was kind of standoffish. But he walked into my life in the middle of the student center having an argument with another Christian over useless wranglings. And he pulled me aside and he said, come, come with me, very gentle. He took me to his room. He started talking about how important the, the Word of God was and how it's not good to get into arguments over things that don't matter. And then he asked me if I wanted to go pray. <laughs> and I thought, well, I was raised in the full gospel. You was raised Catholic. Let's see how this works out. So I, he, he said, come on. I got in his car, and we went to the highest peak there was in that town where we could overlook the whole city. And he wanted to pray for everything, not just my stuff and his stuff. And I was so amazed, I just sit on a rock and listen to him pray. And God did me kind of like he did Peter, right? Peter said, I'm not talking to these Gentiles. They don't get it. And you know, God gave him the vision and all that. Sister Bobby was sharing some of that. We were sharing. And God opened his eyes. And this Catholic brother was the most special guy I had run into in college. He knew who the Lord was. And he had, he had some powerful stuff. that God, So God started working me into his word and not into religion. That was important because you can get caught up in religion. That's what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They got consumed with it. And they were so consumed with religion that when Jesus showed up on their own temple, they didn't know who he was. And I could have probably got that way to some degree. And the Lord stepped in immediately and started putting people in. He, he rebuked me in a good way. And then the Lord started using unlikely things to get my attention. But you can get caught up into that, you know. I, I would have probably argued about Scripture more and more and more. But after that moment, God started just, you know, you, you, you and I can't fix anybody. You know, the only people we can fix is ourselves. And, and we can't even do that without the Lord. I mean, we can cooperate, I guess would be the best way to say that. Uh, and he says, these guys, they're walking away from the truth. They're corrupt minds. They're destitute of the truth. They suppose, and you see a lot of this in Christianity. They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I can tell you this. Uh, over the years, being in the ministry for 30-some years now, uh, at election time, we saw all the politicians over the years. It's not as much now. They don't really see the church as a, as a really important part of politics unless they're a true believer. Now, we have people who are in politics that really love the Lord. And we have some that go here. But used to, the church was seen as such a critical voting block that even the ones that didn't serve the Lord, they started showing them a church a few weeks before election time. Oh, I saw that a lot over the years. It's not so much anymore because the church has really lost its footing in a lot of ways. And some of them have never been around church. We've got to that point in our generations that a lot of them weren't, they were raised on MTV and social media not in the church and he says uh, those who suppose that godliness is a means of gain he says from such withdraw yourself so he's telling Timothy do not be in that crowd and then he, he says now godliness with contentment is great gain now that's a big word right contentment and that is a, that's a word that we really wrestle with in America because we have so much advertisements, if I can say that like a good Canadian, or advertisements. Right? We're always constantly 
being told what we need, what we deserve, what we should have, right? And that's a constant thing brought up in front of us. From a billboard to a television to a phone, whatever. We're constantly being told what we need, what we should desire, what we deserve over and over and over, right? And so this contentment is a real struggle in the culture we live in. And then the other thing is that Americans, at least a lot of Americans in the last, this is changing, for some reason thought God flew an American flag over top of his throne. God's not an American, right? He's above all that. But contentment is a challenge, especially in this country, because we're taught to be self-made people. Well, that's not working out so much anymore. Most people don't even want to work anymore. But, and that is a struggle of yielding, right? If you're going to be content, you're going to have to yield Same That works in a marriage even. You know, to really have a marriage where you can have contentment means there's got to be some yielding from both sides. And, and so God is calling us to yield so that we can have godliness with contentment. Not godliness with stuff or gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's, that's what happened, though, and that's been in the church, right? It got into the church, and so people uh, st- started measuring their level of spirituality by how successful they were. And whatever, how many people showed up to their meetings or how much money they accumulated. And Francis Chan is the modern guy that's really challenging that in ministry because he's had a lot of success and he's went back to a very uh, subdued life, you know, simple life would be the way to say that. And he, he uses the money he's gained through books and things to like build hospitals and stuff. There's not much talked about this but that I mean he's took on a whole different perspective I'm not going to call this guy's name but he's a well-known preacher and he was in a meeting in another country and and he said the Holy Spirit sat down on the meeting it was mostly ministers and and after the Holy Spirit had sat down they were designed to do this the, the meeting was designed for these preachers from different parts of the world to come up and share what the Holy Spirit was showing them and he didn't want to go because he said, by the time the Holy Spirit was through with me, I was in, on my face weeping in a puddle of tears. And so they, but they invited him to come to the podium and share what God had showed him. And he, he said he didn't really want to go, but he went up and he said, he said, uh, he said God told me I was a prostitute. He said, I give you my stuff and your desires to make money from it. And act like it's your stuff. And he said, I was so broken. But he said, I had, I shared with him what God told me. But it's all about the attitude. It's just like the Lord's not opposed to blessing people. I mean, you look through all the scripture. He made some wealthy. Some he challenged that in. Abraham, wealth was not an issue with him, even though he was wealthy. It kind of, it caused Solomon to backslide for a season, right? So when you get blessed, you cannot allow the blessings to get in front of the blesser to be more important than the blesser. <clears throat> That's where the trouble comes in. And so he says, godliness with contentment. Is that our goal? Is our goal to be more like Christ? Is that, that should be our goal every day. For we brought, and then he makes this clear, you know, you, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we, are, we can carry nothing out. You and I should live a life, and here's how we can stay above thinking that gain is the measure for success. How do we stay above that? By not having anything in your life that God can't put his hand on. So if God says, hey, I want you to cash that IRA out and give it to this, what would you tell him? What if God says, I want you to give your car away to this? What would you tell him? 
He didn't go after the rich young ruler because he was rich. Lydia was rich in the New Testament. Peter was probably wealthy. He had his own business. He didn't go after the rich young ruler because he's rich. He went after him because he knew that was the thing that would get between him and his discipleship. So we cannot measure our success. You cannot even measure your success in numbers. First church I pastored, I took down the number board. Y'all been in churches where we had the number board, right? To boast of how many. But I didn't really want it up anyway because we grew from 26 to 12 the first week. Because <laughs> not everybody was happy with the new sheriff in town. So I didn't. But that's, if you measure success by numbers, then Jeremiah was a failure. Nobody listened to Jeremiah. He got through in the well. But we don't measure success that way as Christians. We measure success by obedience. If we're being obedient to the Father. Whatever He's asked us to do. He may never ask us to lay our head on the chopping block like He did the Apostle Paul. Or to be crucified like Peter, whom they say was crucified upside down. Or to be filleted like they believe Thomas was. He may never ask that of us. But he may ask us to get out of bed a little earlier. He may ask us to spend a little time in the Word more. He may ask us to give something monetarily that we hadn't planned to do. Because it's all his, right? Everything we have is his. And then he says, he says you didn't bring nothing into this world and certain you're not taking nothing out. That's sobering reminder, isn't it? If you, and I just use this, if you've got season tickets to Rupp Arena, do you think they're going to care when you pass away? They're, they're not going to care because what they're going to do is they're going to jack those tickets up and sell them to somebody else. <laughs> they don't care. That we, the world will carry on, right? And so we don't get to take them with us. And I think there's people in this state that actually think God's for UK too. I mean, there's, we're so deranged with earthly things. And I played basketball all the way through college. I understand how people get into that. But it bothers me to see how that's kind of like a God in this state to some people. So keep everything in balance, right? He says, and having food and clothing, he said, we, with these we shall, we shall be content. Would we? Would we be content? Just food for thought. But those who desire to be rich, now there's the key, right? He made Abraham rich. He made David rich. People in the Bible, God blessed. He's faithful over a few things. He'll make you ruler over many. Those are biblical principles. You can grow. If, you, if somebody, this is just even in the natural, if somebody plants two rows of corn and somebody else plants 40 rows of corn, who's going to get more corn? Right? There, I understand seed and harvest has been uh, misrepresented. And it's been as a means of gain for some people. But it's still real. Planting and harvesting is a real concept. I mean, whoever plants more is going to receive more. So sowing and reaping is, is biblical. It's even biblical in the negative sense, right? If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. I mean, sowing and reaping is a universal principle that God established, right? But... We shouldn't use it as a hook. You know, I heard a story of a guy who was very wealthy in the ministry and he drove a, a ragged car to when he went to preach so people would feel sorry for him. It's kind of like Ananias and Sapphira almost. False pretense, right? So he could, they would think he needed more money. Sad, but that's true. How people, so God can bless us, but we're going to have to be faithful over a little and then we'll see him bless us with more. And we got to be willing to let go of what he's asked us to let go of. Maybe it's love. You know, it could be as simple as forgiving somebody. Uh, in fact, I would say that unforgiveness will stop your spiritual life quicker than anything. Stop it dead in its tracks. So, and sometimes we hold unforgiveness to, with things that people don't even know. You know, that they don't know that they've hurt our feelings or 
or maybe or and sometimes we people hold for unforgiveness people that have already passed on and that person and I shared this a couple of weeks ago but that's what when Sister Mary runs the orphanage they said that she was the best counselor in the United States because she stayed with those children and many of them were sexually abused by their own family members some of them were farmed out you can you can know what I'm saying by that uh, and abused horribly and she would take them and help them and work with them till they forgave those people She's, because her motto was as long as you don't forgive them they'll still be able to hurt you but once you forgive them and every, one by one she's raised like 150 children they all didn't speak but many of them did and one by one they just kept talking about how she's the greatest counselor she don't have a degree in it but she knows God's word and she knows his principles and she would even take them back to the houses where they were abused to help them overcome. And if you don't forgive people, I mean, there's some strong language about that for all of us. If we don't forgive, we don't get forgiven. And then he says, freely you've received, so freely give. What's the greatest thing you've ever been given? Forgiveness. You got it freely, didn't you? You didn't have to beg for it. You didn't have to earn it. You just believed and received so freely you've received so freely give away and then he says uh, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare so that's the desire right he's going to come on and say something that we've all know has been missaid misread or interpreted in just a moment he says those who desire to be rich God could bless you and make you wealthy I mean if that's his plan but the desire, you, you, if you desire that, it will bring what he's getting ready to say. He said, those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money. Money's amoral, right? It's just a means of transaction. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I say you give a country boy $1,000 and he feels like a guy on Wall Street with a million. He has to get him a wallet. It's got a chain on it and everything. You, know? <laughs> you remember those wallets with chains on Now Those people really must have had the money. You know? If you have to chain your money up, you must have a <laughs> Now, uh, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. For seeking it right and this this is this is typical of what i've drawn here a thousand times right stick man's in the path he's been born again and he's on his way toward god right and then out here's this deal right that's a distraction and he has to make a, a decision of whether he's going to yield to that temptation and that deal don't seem too bad doesn't seem like it's sinful, but you got to be careful and make sure it's not a setup, right? Because here's the way God works. He takes stick man, brings him into the path. As you see, uh, the, the way is straight and narrow. The Greek words to know, so it's narrowing. Why? Because we must decrease. That's how it would read in the Greek. The way you're walking is narrowing because you're being less of you and more of God, right? So Stickman's on his journey. His discipleship's a journey. And what God says, I've got appointed things to bring into your life at the right place at the right time, whether it's relational, wealth, whatever it is. Where we get in trouble is when we leave the path to pursue these things that may very well be God's plan for our life. It's just the wrong season. And that's one of the things that I have really feel like the Lord's taught me over the years dealing with people is that, Life comes in seasons. And if you're always wanting a different season, you're going to miss what God's doing right now in this season. And boy, as you get older, they come, man. They're fast. And, and you can get stuck in a season. The reason the children of Israel took so long to get the promised land, personally, they were struggling with the belief and stubbornness and sin. But it was easy for God to get them out of Egypt. He just did a little this and a little that and then drowned Pharaoh and his army in the sea. But the problem was getting Egypt out of them. 
See, that was what was wrong with Lot's wife, right? Her body left Sodom, but her heart was still down there. So that's why she disobeyed and was turned into a pillar of salt. So your journey is not about you um, getting God fixed right in your life. It's about you, Him getting all this stuff out of us. And so he don't, he don't consume us all at once. That's why when you read about the promised land, he, he said, I'm going to move the people out little by little so you don't get in the land and get overwhelmed with it. That's how God works. And that's how our discipleship. So God gives us a little light. Then he gives us some more light. And then he gives us some more light. And then he gives us some more light. Because if he gave us all this light all at once, it would overwhelm us. And so he just takes us through stages where we were being conformed into his image. When God started teaching me this, I was listening to a series from Bob Mumford on walking in the light. And I had been to visit the hospitals in Knoxville, Tennessee, when I was in that area. And I plugged that in. Let's tell you how long ago it was. This is a cassette tape. I stuck those cassettes in, coming out of Knoxville, headed home. I had about an hour and a half drive. And I... And I started hearing that and talking about walking in the light like John talks about. I felt like I was driving in my underwear. I felt so unclothed, so exposed. But it was beautiful the way God did it. He had me by myself, all captivated audience. And he started ministering to me. I don't know if I remember everything the preacher said, but I was remembering what the Holy Spirit was doing. And so I've had some encounters like that. I went to uh, Texas to hear a guy, and he was teaching on the offices of Christ, right? And you've heard me share some of that, that in the Old Testament, you had a priest and a prophet and a king and a prophet, but you never had a king, priest, and prophet in the same person until you get to the New Testament. That's Jesus. He's the only one that held all three offices. You may have Ezekiel. As a prophet and a priest, you have David as a king and a prophet. But you never find all three offices in one person until you come to Jesus. And he said this. This is a bunch of ministers sitting around. This guy was ahead of us spiritually in every way. And he said to us, he said, because we've got preachers who only recognize Jesus as the priest and maybe the prophet, but don't see him as king. He said, we've got half flesh and half spirit going into the pulpit. He said, we need preachers coming down from the presence of God to get in the pulpit, not going up like Moses. When I heard that, once again, I felt like I was sitting there in a pair of long johns. I thought, oh my Lord, how have I missed that? See, we love the priest because he fixes our boo-boos, right? The high priest is there to heal us, to receive our offerings, to grant us forgiveness. We love that. that everybody wants that. Prophet, mm, we like him as long as he's telling us something good. You know, uh, was it Ahab said, don't get Micaiah. He tells me something bad all the time. And then the king, though. Now, don't you think about this. The king enforces the law. The word. The king is responsible for the peace and the safety of the city. And because the church at large has not recognized Jesus as king, only the priest and maybe the prophet, we have forfeited our peace and safety. We like to do things our way, that's the nature of the flesh. Look at the church at large. The statistics in the world are, are about the same inside the church. Because we don't recognize Jesus as king. We want to do it our way. We want to do our own thing. That's exactly how Cain got crossways with God. Cain evidently knew what he was supposed to do. But for whatever reason, laziness, didn't want to maybe barter with Abel to get a lamb and trade him some apples and peaches or whatever. I, I'm using a scenario here, but for whatever reason, he decided to not do it God's way. He decided to bring God what he thought God ought to be happy with. 
And God had already spelled this out for them because he sacrificed some animals to put Adam and Eve in, in those skins. So sacrificing was before the law, right? A lot of things that we say law, 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 like tithing was before the law. Abraham was doing it. And the Bible says his children were blessed because they were yet in his loins when he was tithing. You're setting your whole family up to succeed by honoring God. The one's coming after you. And so Cain does his own thing. And that's such a lackadaisical attitude, right? Well, here's what I do, God. Well, he should have bartered or whatever it took to get a lamb from Abel because he was the keeper of the sheep, but he didn't want to fool with that. And the Lord basically said, you, if you do good, you'll be rewarded for it. But if you don't, sin's at the door to pounce on you and consume you. And so he knows better than to get mad at God, right? What are you going to do? Overthrow God? No, he gets mad at Abel, who Abel didn't have a thing to do with it, and slays him. But that's how sin works. That's what happened with Esau. He sold his birthright because he placed no value on spiritual things. The natural moment. See, and that's what we got to guard against. In that natural moment, the flesh wants to push you and I around and say, who cares about the birthright? I just need something to eat. But he, he, he said he's about to die, I think. He went, he'd just been hunting a day. He could have went without food for several days. But that's, that's the nature of the flesh, right? It just pushes us around and wants, it, wants to have its own way. And we've got to guard against that. So then he, I wanna, he says, uh, For the love of money is root of all evil, for which they've strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I want to go through some words. Go back to verse, go back to verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Men of corrupt, useless wranglings, men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Now that's a strong word. He's basically accusing these people not to even know the truth. The word destitute, apostero, means to be robbed or defrauded. They've been robbed of the truth because they pursued the wrong things. Ain't that what happened? That's what happened in the uh, parable of the sower. You read those, what happens to those people. Some, the Bible says the devil comes immediately and steals it. Some get persecuted and don't want to stand their ground. And that gets stolen from them. And the third group, the Bible says the cares of this life, our schedules, our demands, our desires, choke it out of them. Where it doesn't bear any fruit. And so these people get defrauded because truth is not their goal. Their own way is their goal. Then the next one in verse 9. Go to verse 9. It said, but these who desire to be rich fall in uh, temptation and snare. And to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown. The word drown, boothzo, means to make sink, to be plunged into the deep. And it's the sinking of a boat. It's cousin to the word baptism. Ties. I mean, it's an immersion, but this is a negative connotation, this word, somebody who's sinking. So if you read this in the context, we'll do that in just a moment, you see what the Holy Spirit's really trying to say. This is drastic stuff that's happening to these people who don't love the truth. Paul talks about those who didn't love the truth, right? That He talks about that in, in Timothy. He says, and he says, uh, they drown themselves in destruction. That's the next word. The word destruction means, alethros means to be ruined in a physical sense, not a spiritual sense. So it's, pro it's possible if we resist truth to bring physical trouble into our lives. It's possible. Because you're a triune vessel. And I, I believe I'll be vindicated when I get to heaven someday for what I'm getting ready to tell you. Your spiritual man, or the lack thereof, affects your mind and your body. Good or bad. You are a triune vessel. So your spiritual man being out of whack, or not holding to truth, or not yielding, can cause your, you physical trouble. I've experienced that myself. 
And one of the stories you've heard me tell is about the ulcer because I was running from my calling. I developed an ulcer. Ulcers, because there's tension, right? They, they tell us that from worry and tension that we, de- we can develop ulcers. Well, if you're not right with God, there's no greater tension than that. And I wasn't. I was running from my calling. And, and then the next one, destruction, he says. Then the next one is perdition. They, they fall in destruction and perdition. The word perdition, apolio, is close to the word apostatize. And it means to have loss, to the loss of well-being, not extinction, but ruin. Be set in a pile of ruins, wondering what happened. And then finally, this other word that I wanted you to look at was they pierced themselves, they strayed, and they pierced themselves, in verse 10, through with many sorrows. The word pierced is parapero. It means to be pierced on every side, all around, tortured because of the phrase here, tortured by your own doing. We can make life miserable for ourselves if we want to. And just simply neglecting God's truth and, and shine away maybe from something He's challenged you in your life to where you don't yield. And, and so then He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Godliness, excuse me, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Those are the things we should pursue. And, and, and that's basically what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek you first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. And everybody can probably testify to this. Since you've been a believer, the devil gets your eyes off on something out here, and you get distracted with it. And it brings hardship, brings a rift in the relationship. That's why Paul said, let that which is lame be healed and turned back, right? So get that back in here. And, let, and this is a challenge because we live in America. It's an even greater challenge. Because we have so many other things we can trust in. Now everybody says what the preacher thinks. Based on that prophecy we got in 2020 and what I've learned in the scripture. It's very possible we could see a lot of our systems collapse. But that could be God doing that to get people's attention. Don't you want to see your loved ones saved? We've all got people that are lost. And most of them may not be doing stupid stuff. Some of them probably are. But they're just running with the world. They're doing what Paul's warning Timothy against. And their life's good. So they don't see a need for a savior. They don't see a need for a king for the peace and safety. They're their own king, right? And that's the deception of sin. And so it's hard to get in a spot. And I'm still learning this myself. To let, just walk toward him and let him bring things in as they're in his season, in his moment. God, you don't give a three-year-old a shotgun, right? You wait till he's four. <laughs> you, you, you get him a shotgun at, at the moment that he can deal with it and handle it if he wants to hunt squirrels or whatever. We're parents, and we're limited and flawed, but we try to make good decisions, right? Well, God's not limited, and He's not flawed. And if He's withholding something, there's a reason why He's doing that. Check it out. Go talk. I I take inventory regularly between me and God. I'm an inventory taker. If there's trouble, I go talk to God and say, God, is there stuff, something between you and I? Am I doing something you don't approve of? Am I letting something go I should have embraced and should be active in? If I can clear that up, or if it's, if it's not any of those, then I can start learning how to maneuver through the battle. Sometimes God's trying to get our attention. Sometimes He's using us to show His glory. They came along once and said, uh, who sinned? This guy's blind. Somebody had to sin. Jesus said, nobody's sinned, but for the glory of God. That guy was set up for Jesus to heal. And, and most of you have heard me say this. Uh, uh, <clears throat> they said 
They were so astonished with that miracle. And who knows how many of them embraced Jesus after that. Because they said never since the foundation of the world had somebody who'd been born blind had their eyes open. Some were blinded and got healed later. But this was astonishing to the group. And I believe that the reason that miracle was reserved was was reserved for Jesus because it typified what he was getting ready to do for all of those who would believe on him. We're all born blind spiritually. So that was a moment for Jesus to display, I'm the one. He was the one. And so they were blown away. They said, not since the foundation of the world have we seen someone who's been born blind. They saw Paul went blind and was recovered from it, right? They saw people go blind and be healed, but not somebody who was born blind. We don't know. Maybe he didn't even have any eyes. We don't know the whole backdrop, but it was so such a tense situation. The Pharisees got all bent out of shape all over. The priests got bent out of shape. And finally, the guy had to put them in their place and three or four times. And his mom and dad wouldn't stand up for him because they were afraid they'd get thrown out of the temple. It's that, that John chapter 9, better than any movie Hollywood puts out. And so they were all consumed with this miracle. And I believe the reason God reserved that particular miracle was because it typified what Jesus was getting ready to do in the spirit realm. He was going to open the eyes of the blind people who'd been born blind, right? All of us were born that way. And so he says, pursue these things, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're going to baptize at least five or six Sunday and, and we're, if anybody else needs to be baptized. That's part of our testimony of telling the world we're not ashamed of the gospel. We are followers we're in man we're all in jesus does the work inside of our hearts and we follow up with that to let the world know because we're not ashamed of him we're not ashamed of the gospel but you he says you keep this line he said hold this confession in the presence of many witnesses i urge you in the sight of god who gives life to all things who does that god and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Don't you be backing up, Timothy. Which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is in, has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Keep your focus on Jesus, he said. Love him like a husband. Love him like a brother. Know that he's the greatest thing in your life. He is the greatest husband in the universe. And then he says, command those who are rich. He comes back to this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. We saw that in 1929. If you... Or you read about it like I did. How people, their whole life was wrapped up in how much wealth they had. And they jumped out of windows, committed suicide, all kinds of things because the stock market collapsed. And that's happened since too. People who are wrapped up. Uh, I heard a story about a man, I think I shared this in one of the sermons, who had a gold, had a plot out in California when the gold rush hit years. And he had... Uh, mind and mind and mind and never really hit it and uh, he left he was a wealthy man had the guy who was a janitor somewhere local there bought all the equipment and stuff for pennies on the dollar started mining again and he was just a few feet from the largest gold seam in California and the guy heard about it and committed suicide the guy who had the seam originally. It bothered him that bad because his whole life was wrapped up. And he, I guess he forgot or maybe he'd never read, you didn't bring nothing in this world and you ain't taking nothing out when you leave. So he keeps coming back. He said, don't, don't trust in things, uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You and I don't even own tomorrow. So make sure you live the way you're supposed to today and do what God's asked you to do today. Let them do good that they be, uh, he says, uh, let them do good that they 
be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So, you know, he said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, it's not impossible. He didn't say it was impossible. It's difficult. And uh, in the Aramaic, there's a curly cue that can be on that word to tell you whether he's talking about a camel's hair or an actual camel. Everything I've read and studied deeper, it's probably, he's probably talking about a camel's hair in Aramaic because it was difficult and it's stiff and rough, coarse, to get a camel's hair through a needle. They sold with those things back then. But it wasn't impossible. And then there's some reports that he was talking about the sheep gate, that uh, a camel could actually go through a sheep gate, that he could... Uh, he had to get on his knees. He had to relieve himself of his burden. And he had to get help from behind for a camel to get. All those things are propositions. So Jesus is not saying it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. He said it's a hard thing. And either both of those are good things to think about. And whether it's either or, or both, I, don't, I can't clearly distinguish because there's not enough ev- uh, information. But... It's not impossible, and a rich man, the reason it's hard is because he can trust in so many other things. And that's, that's the challenge for him, is to not trust in those things. And that's basically what he says here, don't trust in uncertain riches. Be ready to give, be ready to do good works, be ready to share. And they said that way you'll be storing up things for eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and the idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called so uh, uh, babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be to you, Amen. That is a word to people going to college. How many people have we seen get knowledge and then think this God stuff's foolishness? After they get so educated. And that, that Paul, he nailed it, right? He saw this. He said, hold on to these things. Avoid profane, idle babblings, contradictions to what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. You and I, if we get too smart to trust God's word, we're out of line. Because he said, heaven and earth will pass away but my word will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for all you've done in our lives. Help us to do your will, God. Forgive us, Lord, of our transgressions. Mold us and make us like you. Help us to be people who are committed to the word, even if it hurts us, Lord, even if it rebukes us and reproves us. We're committed to it. Just like Jephthah was, he, he he gave an oath and he stood by it, even though it was very costly to him. Lord, help us to be people. The Bible says, Lord, in Psalm that a righteous man swears to his own hurt and refuses to change because he's that faithful. That's who Jephthah was. Help us to understand the value of being who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.